You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. I receive all of the statements that the apostles made in their record, in their writings, in their gospels, in their epistles. I believe and accept it in its entirety. So here's the question. What makes men and women Christians? It is simply that they accept and subscribe to a certain body of teaching and doctrine concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. What makes you a Christian? That's a question that Pastor Mike will answer in today's message. He'll talk with you about the doctrine that all believers hold to, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins. He'll share how this act of love on your behalf can stand in for you at the day of judgment. You don't have to be guilty of sin, and you can live a redeemed life right now. Thanks to Jesus. Are you willing to let His grace cover you today? Stay tuned. You'll find out how wonderful a life with Christ is. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 4 for his message, The Apostolic Witness and Testimony. We've been talking about the importance of knowing God. And so a lot of this section in 1 John is devoted to that subject. But I'm referring to more than an intellectual knowledge of God. I'm referring rather to the knowledge that we know that God is in me and I am in God. And there are certain ways to test this. And so I've shared some of those ways the last couple of times together. If you remember, the first of which was, am I loving the brethren? That is loving the unlovable, loving those who are difficult, who ordinarily, if Christ wasn't in me and the love of Christ wasn't in me, I would be avoiding those kinds of people, right? I would alienate themselves uh, from myself. But God, because he's placed his love within me, has given me a keen interest in my brothers and sisters and that desire to want to be there for them, to minister to them, and to love them. Uh, Another way that we can test this, whether or not God is in me and I am in God, is do I possess the Holy Spirit? And uh, remember, I gave you a list of things that you can gauge that by. Like, for example, how do we know that the Spirit is within us? Well, first of all, we're concerned about eternal 
and spiritual things. I mean, think about it. Go back to your B.C. days before Christ. You didn't have an aptitude for spiritual things. You weren't concerned about spiritual things. But now, because of the fact that God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are concerned about those kinds of things. Uh, another thing that I mentioned, uh, and again, this gauges or validates the fact that the Holy Spirit is within us, is that we are aware of sin in my life. Not only am I aware of the fact that there is sin in my life, but it is also disturbing to me. And therefore, I want to do something about it. Uh, another way that I know that the Spirit is within me is that I am aware of the fact that God is working in me. I'm not the same person I once was. After my conversion experience, God has begun to do a, a neat work within my life. And of course, that work isn't full, isn't completed, and, uh, and will not be completed until we stand before the Lord and we see him face to face. But nevertheless, I know that I have the spirit because God is working in me, changing me from the inside out. And then another way we can gauge whether or not we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit is that our lives have become fruitful. Listen, it's just the result of and the outproduct and growth of our relationship with God. My life begins to be fruitful in a variety of different ways. And then lastly, I also mentioned that this is another way that we can know whether or not we've received the gift of the Holy Spirit is by the gifts of the Spirit uh, within me. Am I exercising those particular gifts of the Spirit? We went through the list of those gifts, and, and, uh, and we talked about that as well last time. So those are the two different ways whereby we can test whether or not God is in me and I am in God. Now, this evening, uh, we want to go on along these same lines, and we want to talk about the third way of knowing this, and that is, do I confess, according to our text of Scripture, go back to our text, do I confess that Jesus is the Son of God? And if we do, then we know that God is dwelling in me and I in him. Now, immediately, you're probably thinking, you know, initially, you're probably thinking, well, you know, Michael, Mike, that's a pretty simple test. And it actually seems too simple. Well, let's take some time out to consider what's involved in this confession that we make that validates the fact that we are in God and God is within us. And there are three principles that I want to draw to your attention. And once again, let me remind you that a correct belief in Christ is proof of the possession of the Holy Spirit. So that brings us to our first point this evening. And if you're taking notes, write this down. If we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, it's only because the Spirit enables us to do that. Now, let me give you a couple of cross-references for this. And for example, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, in verses 7 and 8, and then again also in verse 10 as a cross-reference. But if we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our uh, glory, in verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew, not kings, right, not potentates, for they had known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And then jump ahead to verse 10 in that same chapter. But God has revealed them to us through the Spirit. You see that? For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep 
things of God. Now, let me give you another cross-reference from the same book of the Bible in chapter 12 and verse 3, where we are told in the latter part of that, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord or confess that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that reveals Christ to us. Uh, Jesus himself said in John's gospel, and when the spirit comes, he shall testify of me. He shall not speak of himself, but rather testify of me. So this evening, if you have the capacity, and I know that everyone that's here this evening does have that capacity, to confess that Jesus is the son of God, that he is the savior, that God the father sent him into the world to die in our place upon the cross for our sins, The only way that we are able to make that kind of a statement is because of the Holy Spirit working in us. It's the Spirit of God who enables us to make that kind of a confession. You see, a correct belief, a true belief, is proof of the fact that we do possess the Holy Spirit. He enables us to truly believe because without the Spirit working in us, this would be impossible. I hope that you find some consolation in this truth and some comfort as well. Because in spite of the fact, think about this, whatever you may feel about yourself, imperfect, and that's, and I got to tell you, and I'm just sharing my own personal testimony, there are times where I feel imperfect, right? That I don't measure up to God's standards. I feel weak. There are times when I feel weak in my walk and my relationship with the Lord. There are other times when I feel as if I'm not worthy. But if you really believe, in spite of all of those things, all of those inconsistencies within our lives, nevertheless, I still believe John's testimony here in this section of his epistle. If you really believe from your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, well, folks, I assure you, God dwells in you, and God has given you his Holy Spirit. So I hope that you find some consolation and comfort in that fact. Now, that brings us to our second point, and that is a correct belief in Christ means an acceptance of the apostolic witness and testimony. Now, what do I mean by, when I use that term, the apostolic witness and testimony? Well, let me bring you back to the beginnings of this series and study in 1 John, in chapter 1, in verses 1 through 3. Notice what it says there. 1 John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And this is really, more than anything else, the reason why John wrote this epistle. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, notice the way that he's referring to Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, right from the very beginning, the Alpha, Jesus is the Alpha, and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Now he's recanting here his own experiences over that period of three and a half years of walking with the Lord, the Lord making that investment in his life as well as the other apostles' lives, which we have heard, all of the teachings of Christ, all of the things that he had seen, all of the experiences in in knowing him, uh, walking with him, following him for the last three and a half years of his public ministry, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested 
And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So again, that, I mean, that's really uh, John's desire and that was more than anything else the reason why he wrote this particular epistle. And so this becomes the apostolic witness and testimony. John here is referring to himself and to his fellow apostles. You know, all of the things that he had seen, all of the things that he had handled, all of the experiences, uh, an eyewitness of the miracles, all of the teachings of Christ. So John says here in our text, let's go back now to verses 14 and 15. That which we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. But then notice he goes on to say that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God dwells in him, and he in God. So, a correct belief comes to that, comes right down to that. It is an acceptance of the apostolic witness and testimony. Notice that word confess there in verse 15. That word confess literally means assenting to. These are the things. All of what is recorded first in the Bible, we're assenting to those things. We're in absolute and total agreement with those things, the things that we are being taught, the, the things that are recorded for us in the Bible. I receive all of the statements that the apostles made in their record, in their writings, in their gospels, in their epistles. I believe and accept it in its entirety. So here's the question. What makes men and women Christians? It is simply that they accept and subscribe to a certain body of teaching and doctrine concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. And I can only confess in a true sense by accepting and believing the apostolic witness and testimony. I need not look elsewhere. I can only appeal to their record. Think about it. I can't make the same claim as did the apostles. I mean, I haven't seen the Lord, but John said he had seen the Lord. He had seen the Lord Jesus with his own eyes. Uh, I wasn't around when Jesus walked upon the earth. So therefore, then, how can I believe on him? Well, we come back to, to this important vital doctrine of the ultimate and final authority of the scriptures themselves in all matters of faith. And this is why those who say, I do not accept the authority of the scriptures, and yet they also claim at the same time to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, would be absolutely wrong. So how do we know him? I mean, here's the question. I mean, how in the world could we possibly even know Jesus Christ apart from the scriptures and the apostolic record? You know, this so-called higher critical approach to the scriptures is a folly. I mean, how can anybody sit in judgment of the New Testament? You know, there are these so-called scholars who, uh, you know, sit and place themselves in a position of saying, well, this is true. You know, this text of Scripture is true, but this text of Scripture, you know, we deny it. We don't accept it. It's referred to a higher uh, critical approach. 
I mean, how can anyone say that this is true of Jesus and this is not? Because listen, anything I believe apart from the record in the Bible is sheer imagination. So listen, in the future, if you ever run up against anyone who tells you, well, you can accept these verses of Scripture as true and other verses of Scripture as probable or false, and they seek to uh, explain it away, hey, you know what? Don't buy into that. Don't buy into that. Because anything I believe apart from the record in the Bible is sheer imagination. Remember, in those first years uh, of the beginnings of the church, there were all sorts of apocryphal uh, gospels, men drawing on their imaginations. And, you know, perhaps they were actually inspired by the devil. And they were spreading these crazy stories concerning Christ and his teachings. And it created havoc within the church. You know, I think Paul was thinking about that when in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, in verse 14, he said that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. And unfortunately, this is something that's happened within the church today. People are carried away by these winds of doctrine that blow through the church. Notice he goes on to declare, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So we we need to be very careful about this. And, And by the way, this would also be just another reason among many that we should get more more determined to study the scriptures on our own, you know, so that we can have a working understanding and knowledge of the scriptures, so that when someone presents some crazy new teaching or whatever, we'll know whether or not it's of the Lord or it is not of the Lord. So anyway, what did God do to combat this? Well, God raised up the apostles to write these authoritative accounts in order that we might know what's true, and what is false. And this is how the Spirit guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit working through the revealed word as it is recorded for us and preserved and handed down to us throughout the ages, that is, the Scriptures. So John here then is saying, if we are able to make this confession, what is the confession? We'll go back to our text in verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. It's because of those people, that is the apostles, who have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, let me again emphasize that the second great principle here is that a correct belief means the acceptance of an agreement with the apostolic witness and testimony. We know nothing about Jesus apart from this book, the Bible. Nothing at all. I am dependent totally and completely upon the record and the witnesses of John, Peter, James, Paul, and the other apostles who preached and bore testimony to these first Christians. Now, with that said, it brings us to our third principle this evening, and that is, what is this correct belief? Well, it is simply the explanation 
And let me also add the inspired understanding of what the apostles experienced and saw. Like, for example, the Gospels. Uh, Think about it in this way. They are statements plus interpretations. And don't you just love the Gospels? You know, something unique about the Gospels, you put them alongside of one another, the synoptic Gospels. You know, all four of them. Some of the things that are recorded in Matthew's Gospel are added to and embellished, like, for example, in John's Gospel. And you have a complete picture. If you put all four of the Gospels alongside of one another, you have a more complete picture of the things that took place during the earthly ministry that is the public ministry of Jesus for three and a half uh, years. And so think of it in this way, the four Gospels, as an example of this. They are statements plus interpretations. And I love it because, you know, all of them have different sorts of flavors to them and, and perspectives. Like, for example, Luke. Think about his background. He was a physician. So many of the records uh, in Luke's gospel come from the perspective of healing. And, and of course, you would, could understand that because that was Luke's background, right? And so a lot of the, the record that is recorded in Luke's gospel has to do with the healings that Jesus performed. And so anyway, John says here in our text, let's go back to our text, He says, we have seen. Now, a more accurate translation would be gazed upon, set in amazement of. We have contemplated. And so all of the writers of the New Testament, all of the writers of the Old Testament, this could be said of them. They gazed upon. They set in amazement of. They contemplated these things. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the things that they wrote that have been collected and placed in this book, the Bible. So John is saying, we looked at his person, and I remember the the enigma that was presented to us. And really, if you think about it, Jesus really was an enigma. I mean, because of the fact that Jesus was like every other man, uh, apparently. He was very ordinary in one respect. He worked as a carpenter. And yet, he, and yet John would say, he, oh, but nevertheless, as ordinary as he was, he always had a capacity to be able to surprise us. There was something about him, a radiance about him, a glory that kept on peeping out. This ordinary person suddenly became extraordinary. In fact, he frightened us at times. For example... There was his teachings, yet he never had a formal education. He taught as one having authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. The way he handled the doctors of the law, the glory that came out of his words. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. We invite you to connect with Pastor Mike and listen to more teachings from God's Word by visiting HarvestNYC.org. At our website, you'll learn all about his ministry and the church it stems from, Harvest Christian Fellowship. We'd love you to join us for worship this Sunday at 11 a.m., 
You can reserve your seat online by clicking on Contact. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, though, or if you're just unable to attend in person right now, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time of studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch up with previous messages, check out the link under Resources for One Place. Just click on the earphones to listen in. You can also watch other services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. How can we be praying for you right now? Feel free to fill out the contact form at harvestnyc.org. We're honored to lift you up to the Lord in prayer. Thanks for joining us today on In My Father's House.